good to see those of you here this morning that are here. Uh, I thought it looked like a smaller group coming through the door, but there's more here than maybe I thought. It's been a little bit different this week, and uh, I've approached things a little differently. It's hard to type, and it's hard to scribble that I can read it. And um, so I've got, I have some things here to read uh, that go along with something that's been on my mind um, the last little while. Um, How many of you read your Sunday school papers? Okay. How many of you read your companions these last couple of weeks? All right, about three or four of you on this side. Um, one of my my um, concerns in this morning is that I hope that some disconnected things somewhere along the line will connect with you. I've learned that there are times when Things affect people that are not even the point of the message or not something that was even mentioned in the message. And so um, I trust that that can be the case this morning. And in our pursuits of things, sometimes we, uh, we miss some important things. I thought I'd read the papers too. And I picked one of them up. Uh, probably yesterday, and I looked at the front of it, and I put the picture and the title together, and I could not figure out what the story was about borrowed pigs. Now, the title is Borrowed Boys, but there's a picture of two pigs on there. And for some reason or other, when I looked at that, I came up with borrowed pigs. But I couldn't remember the story. So sometimes in life, we get a picture of something that is not correct. I wasn't looking for that story. I was looking for something else in one of those papers, but when I picked that one up, I could not remember a story about borrowed pigs because it wasn't about borrowed pigs. It was about borrowed boys. But over the last little while, my mind has gone down some lines, and it's been interesting in these last number of weeks how many things I have come across, how many things I have read, that have gone down that same line. And one of them, Sean, could relate to this better than probably the rest of us could. Um, because he's had difficulty hatching chicks from eggs. And I want to read a little story about something along that line that was written from somebody in Peru that had uh, some similar difficulties. But as we go through life, I didn't know what to put for a title. 
but what I wrote down was living with others. And sometimes it gets pretty messy because I have my ideas, you have your ideas, other people have their ideas, and sometimes they conflict. How many of you read the story, Her Dog and My Couch? All right, most of you did. The thing that came to me out of that was, yes, I don't have a dog in my house. Uh, I don't want a dog in my house. But you know, there was a time that I think I had a calf in my house. I wouldn't let a calf live in that house. I know there are some people that would let a pig live in their house. I'm not sure why. But the thing that caught me was this. The woman that brought her little dog in the house, and by the way, I think she should have uh, uh, you know, made prior arrangements, but that's just my thinking. But the very fact that, um, can't even think of the woman's name now. Um, well, the, the lady, the focus of the story, Tracy was the lady that brought her dog in there. And this is what caught my attention. This was her husband's response um, to what happened that day. Our community friends have a lifestyle that is so different from what we are used to, and it's okay. Is it really? Our neighbors have a different lifestyle. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't go into, into specifics on that one. I just about did, but I won't. Because I'll, I'll violate something I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, and I think that's okay. People from the world have a different lifestyle. He goes on and says, actually, it's a good thing in a lot of ways that our, life, that our lifestyle is different from our neighbors. Sometimes I wonder if we are too clean, he continued, too sterile. We don't like things that we aren't familiar with or used to. And sometimes I wonder if that could be a stumbling block to some people. I'm sure we have no idea what some of our cultural norms appear like to our neighbors. Do you ever stop and think, you know, what, what do I look like to Larry and Sally? Or Bobby and Tracy? Or PG and Barbara? Now, I'm talking about my neighbors now, okay? What do I look like to those people? What do they look like to me? And this is what the lady of the house said. Tara was 
so happy that I let her bring sugar, that was her dog, into the house. I decided if that is one more way that I can make her feel welcome, I would just look the other way if sugar did leave some dog hair on my blanket. Now remember, this is a blanket that she liked to wrap up in. You see, um, I should have marked some things I didn't intentionally because I didn't want to mark up something that somebody else might read. But Tara was surprised that this lady had let her bring her dog into the house because somebody else from that church hadn't let her bring it in. Now, I'm not saying there are there are situations where it's okay to tell them no they can't come in you see um, I have some grandchildren that it wouldn't be okay for a cat to come into their house because of allergies but I'm just plain allergic to having a cat in the house I don't have any allergies to cats but I'm allergic to them being in my house sometimes we need to do things in our effort to reach out to others that we wouldn't normally do. And that's okay as well. Now he goes on to say, we need to remember though not to let go of any principles in God's word that we know are a matter of right and wrong just to win our neighbors. That would be defeating the purpose. So, my allergy to cats, now understand allergy, I don't, have any, I don't get sneezing or anything like that from cats. My allergy to cats is not a matter of right and wrong. And so, um, now I'm just trying to decide where I'm going from here. Um, I want to read some verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I had a verse down here that I thought was interesting that if you got Sean's uh, blog from last night, there's a verse in there from Proverbs that I thought was a New Testament verse. Anybody read it this morning yet? You know what verse I'm talking about? Feeding your enemies. That's Old Testament. It's in Proverbs. I had that down on my notes and I thought it was interesting that that was in Sean's mind as he was relating to somebody that was supposed to be doing some work for him. Ecclesiastes 7, starting at verse 15. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. I'll probably stop here and talk about some of these verses as we go through. So 
The picture is you have a righteous man that dies young. And you have a wicked man that lives to an old age. Doesn't make sense. Verse 16, be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. What's he saying? We're not supposed to be too righteous? Or we can get too righteous? We can get too wise? Um, yeah, I think in the concept he's talking about, we can. Because he's talking about a righteousness that makes me feel like I'm a little better than somebody else. He's talking about a wisdom that what I've got is better than Joshua has. Or the next door neighbor. Now if it's talking about godly wisdom, godly righteousness versus worldly wisdom, worldly righteousness, yes. But... Be not, over right, be not righteous over much, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldest thou destroy thyself? Because, see, it's talking about this me concept. What I've got is better than what you have. Verse 17, be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Going back to that first verse I read. That wicked person living on. It's proven that the majority of the time a wicked person's life is shorter. Verse 18. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them. To live our lives for God and reach out to others. Wisdom, 19, wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So why am I so critical of that person that is making his attempts at following God and fails? I was born in a Christian home. I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church every Sunday. And you know, I thought maybe if that board was still here this morning, I would look back at Davy's sermon from last Sunday. How many times have I failed to reach the line that God wants me to have in my pursuit of Him? But yet, somehow, that other person that fails just... just Flat missed it. Proverbs says, There is not a just man upon earth that doth good and sinneth not. You can go back and read numbers of scriptures that talk about everybody falling short of what God wants in their life. I want to go down yet to uh, verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions, many schemes. They've searched out many schemes. And then 
Right after that's where I had this verse from Proverbs 25. If thine enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And I probably knew it was in Proverbs, but that's a New Testament concept. Because, see, God's people in the Old Testament were his national people as well. And they fought. They had enemies that they destroyed. Going back to Companion's Papers. How many of you read the article by Roger Barry, Thinking with the Editor, last Sunday? Oh, that's not an important part to read. Okay. That one caught my attention. Because as I think back over the years... I think there are some people that are going to have some tough questions to answer one day because of their input into situations that they had no business meddling in. It might have been being worked on. And I'll let you in on a little secret. Sometimes church leaders work on problems in the church that most people don't know anything about. And then sometimes in working on those problems, here comes somebody else that muddles in that situation and undoes everything that the ministry has already done. I want to read just a little bit of what Roger said in that article. And in the title of it was, Part of the Solution. Are you part of the solution or part of the are you part of the problem or part of the solution? This question is pertinent for all of us in interpersonal relationship situations in our families and churches. I recently read an article about hindrances to problem solving in business. The points were interesting and started me thinking about the hindrances Christians and churches face with the inevitable personal relationship problems that come. According to the writer, three hindrances of problem solving involve, I mean, include the wrong people involved in the discussion, irrelevant information, and judging people's motives. I'm going to go back and read those again because I stumbled over that first one a little bit. The three hindrances to problem solving in that situation include the wrong people involved in the discussion, irrelevant information, and judging people's motives. Ooh, how often have I done that? A number of years ago I related an account. I'm going to relate it again. Um... A person was told about a weakness someone saw in his life through a third party. This person didn't think he had this problem. He didn't want to have that problem. Others said it wasn't a problem. 
but he couldn't go to the person that thought he had a problem because that person was an unknown. He asked the third party to have the first party come and tell him where the problem was. But that wouldn't work either. The person became frustrated. He was perceived to have a problem. He didn't think he had. Others didn't see the problem. But somebody obviously saw he had a problem. He had improper thoughts about that individual that thought he had a problem. He developed improper thoughts about himself. He started looking down on somebody he didn't even know or couldn't identify. He started to feel he was better than the other because he wasn't properly approached. And then he knew who it was by the process of elimination. He thought he knew who it was by the process of elimination. That happened, by the way. I won't tell you who it happened to or when it happened, but it's been a good while ago. Getting back to what Brother Roger wrote, when people talk about other people and their problems, the tendency is strong to tell people who really can't help solve the problems. The Bible calls this tailbearing. When people have problems with each other in families and in churches, they gossip about it to others rather than go, going directly to the person involved to share their concerns. When the person who supposedly has the problem learns that others are talking about him behind his back, trust is broken and conflict deepens. In many cases, the problem is already being worked on by the right people, those directly involved, including church leaders. The rest of us should pray instead of spreading information that can so be soon become distorted. The other issue is, or one other issue, is irrelevant information. You know, we, it's easy to add information, right? Tailbearers tend to add information about the people they are gossiping about that does not directly relate to the problem at hand. They may point out weaknesses an individual has had in the past that may have little to do with the present issue. Or worse, they may spread other information they have heard about the person that cannot be proved. They may try to bring in the faults or sins of his parents or grandparents as supposed proof of the person's lack of sincerity. Closely related to the spread of irrelevant information is judging people's motives or even their character. That's what Jesus was speaking about on the sermon speaking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, "Judge not." 
Just because someone does something he should not have done or even commits a sin still does not give us license to judge his motives or conclude that he is hopeless. I'm going to stop there just a little bit. If that was the case, I would have been hopeless many times. And probably you would have been hopeless a lot of times too. Continuing to read, when a brother or sister repents of sin or asks forgiveness of us, what right do we have to conclude that he is not genuine? What right do we have to tell other people we think the person is not genuine? The next gossip down the line will report that he repented, but he's not sincere. He concludes by saying, if I am truly part of the solution to a problem between people, I will, in love and compassion, reach out to the individuals involved, pray for them, and do my best to restore trust, not speaking evil of anyone. So if you want to, uh, that's the end of that article. So if you want to reread that, and I think it might do you some good. Go back and get last Sunday's companions and read the thinking with the editor section on the back page. Now in I don't plan to continue through parables of Peru with you, but there is another one that I want to refer to this morning. You see the author wanted chickens in Peru, and so he went down to the market to buy chickens, and he said, I want 19 hens and one rooster. The merchant said, certainly. So they carefully picked out the 19 hens and one rooster. When he got them home and they started growing, he found out that they were 50% roosters and 50% hens. And he went back and approached the merchant. Oh, that's the way I bought them. That's the way I sell them. So now he has... Uh, I didn't do my math here, so uh, he has 10 and 10 because he ordered 19 and 1. So he ate all the roosters but the one, but the 10 chickens, and I, he didn't say how many of them were left. Some of them died. They weren't laying but two or maybe three eggs a day, and that wasn't enough for them to eat, so they decided they needed more chickens. So... They figured out how to make a, an incubator, and I thought about Sean in this respect. Uh, looks like he might be successful this time since he got his temperature regulated on his, on his incubator or his um, gauges where they, they need to be so he gets the proper temperature. But anyway, I put these chickens, these eggs, in to hatch, and they watched them hatch, and so... That was another parable, not to get you to this parable to fill in the, the things in between. 
Now would have you to wit that after the slaughter of the roosters that the remaining hens encountered various and sundry hardships and therefore did, num did their number dwindle. And though we nursed them diligently, we could yet could we coax out of them but three eggs daily, if by reason of strength perchance four. But at times there were only two. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Now in our research, all right, so they have the eggs in, in the incubator. Now in our research, had we learned that we must not endeavor to help a chick out of his shell. Therefore did we stay our hand and did, and did only observe them and cheer them on, and for one whole week, did we watch as the chicks, one by one, left their life of bondage behind and emerged into newness of life? And it came to pass that one morning my family and I once more observed a cracking egg, and the poor little chick struggled against his shell, and his struggle seemed greater than had been the struggle of his fellow chicks. Or was it only that we were more steadfastly watching this one? And as we watched from above, our hearts were filled with compassion. My daughters also interceded on his behalf and said, Our father, seest thou not this struggle? Help him, we pray thee. So I considered the matter, and I began, and I being urged on by a recent memory, by my compassion and by the pleadings of my daughter, I did bear my mighty arm and reach down into his little world. I broke a bit more of his shell and widened the crack so that he might emerge. And what was such a struggle for him and but nothing for me was but nothing for me. Yea, so much greater was I than he that it was difficult to help him without hurting him. And he rested for a while and then did he resume his struggle. And after a few more minutes had he fully emerged from the shell and left it behind. And as the hours passed, did we expect him to stand upright upon his two feet, to walk circumspectly before us as had his fellow chicks? But alas, even as he had left his shell behind, yet had he not left his struggle behind, but instead he lay thrashing on the incubator floor. And with great peeps and powerful thrusts of his legs did he endeavor to burst forth from the shell that no longer held him. And our hearts did wonder at him. And it came to pass that at the appointed time, that as we had done unto those before him, so did we likewise unto him. For we put him in the box with the heat lamp and with the other chicks, and we said, Surely this chick will now perceive his freedom, and will run around and will peck at this or that, as do his fellow chicks. But as he had been in the incubator, so was he in the box. And as he had been in the shell, so was he out of the shell. For he lay quietly, curled for a season, and then with great desperate cries did he struggle and kick as if to break out of the shell. And I lifted sad eyes into my daughters, and I said, Indeed, my daughters, we verily sought to ease this chick's struggle. But as a result hath his struggle multiplied. Tell me, I pray thee, was our help helpful? And then did I perceive the parable of the struggle, and it became plain unto me, for I recalled how of late I have oft thought how easy it would have been 
for God to reach down and to ease the source of our own struggle, but how he had not, and how I wondered long at why he did not. And then he remembered Christ's cry at Gethsemane that the cup might pass from him, but how God had not reached down to remove the source of his struggle. Furthermore, I considered the help we humans give one to another, and I understood that sometimes we must needs give folks space to work through issues without rushing them so that our well-meaning help doth not instead induce yet more struggles. Indeed, how ready we are at times with our advice and with our answers. I want to read the last paragraph yet. He had talked with his wife. He was going through a struggle. And he said this, Behold now the parable of the struggle, for we have done more harm than good with our good intentions. It is not even the same, is it not even the same, when we would help a struggling brother? If so, tell me, I pray thee, would it not then be better to stay our hand? Would it not then be better to refrain from offering help? And my good wife spake wisely and saith to me, Nay, but we will help. But also will we be careful to remember that loving support is more helpful than quick solutions. You see, I face some things in life. I have the answers. So I can fix this now. Too many times that doesn't work and it makes the problem worse. As I was looking at this, a song kept going through my mind and I couldn't find it. So I've been told you go and type in the, the words of a song and you can find it on Google. Well, I found it. I found two other songs, but not the song I was looking for. So now I have three songs on that same thing. The song I was looking for was this. Can the world see Jesus when they look at your life? That's the chorus. I got a hold to Jennifer this morning going down the road, and she was able to get me the words. So I want to read that song. Praise the Lord I have believed. Of the grace, of the gift of grace I have received. Eternal life, everlasting joy, and wonderful peace of mind. In exercise, the gain is small, but godliness, it profits all. So use the gift that God has given you to labor for Jesus, our Lord. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou example of the truth. In word, in spirit, in faith and charity, can the world see Jesus when they look at me? And of course, can the world see Jesus when they look at your life? Are you faithful in the spiritual strife? In word, in spirit, in faith and charity, can the world see Jesus when they look at me? 
I want to read the other two songs yet, too. One of them was written in 1917 by Lilia Morris. And the title is, Can the World See Jesus in You? Do you live so close to the Lord today, passing to and fro on life's busy way, that the world in us can a likeness see to the man of Calvary? Do you love with love to him, to his, do you love with love to his own akin, all his creatures lost in the mire of sin? Will we reach a hand whatsoever it costs to reclaim a sinner lost? As an open book, they our lives will read to our words and acts giving daily heed. Will they be attracted or turn away from the man of Calvary? And the chorus went like this, Can the world see Jesus in me? Can the world see Jesus in you? Does your love to him ring true? And your life and service too? Can the world see Jesus in you? And the other one that came up was written by Jeff Gibson. I don't have any clue who he is or when it was written. Are you walking in the footsteps of the one that you call Lord? Are you living each day by his holy word? Surrendered completely. Are you his through and through? Can the world see Jesus? Can they see Jesus in you? If your neighbor has a burden, will you carry the load? Will you help some poor stranger as you travel life's road? Will you reach out to someone just to see what you can do? Can the world see my Jesus? Can they see Jesus in you? And the course for that one was, can the world see Jesus in you? Can they see his love in the things that you do? Are you living the life? Are you faithful and true? Can the world see Jesus, see Jesus in you? I think that's all I have. Uh, Glenn, just stick with one song. I had told Glenn maybe two songs, but I got a little longer winded than I expected. <laughs>